Welcome to Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a movie, we review it, we talk about it, and we discuss some of these the ideas and themes that it throws up. As always, we'll end with our recommendations of further reading inspired by the film of the week. Before we kick off, a little catch up on what we've been watching. So Sam, in a week since we watched Alien, what have you been watching? We're now... What number are we on now? We, we, we renumbered them, so it's two point something now. Yes. It's been a number of, of weeks recently that I've been doing my television programmes. Um, this series seems to be more about TV because I now have less time to watch films. Um, but the TV programme that I want to highlight here is... It seems to me particularly relevant to this film, to something that happens in this film, and also to the film last week, to the franchise as a whole. And this is the series which is currently in its second season on Channel 4, The Very Good Humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and the link with this franchise is obviously the idea of since... Um, and some of the things that get explored in these films are taken further with um, these TV series, Humans. But I would say that there's there, there are a lot of very interesting things to be said about valuing other groups in society and how we deal with foreigners, um, in inverted commas. Um, and it's really good, good it's, as well as being sort of interesting for that reason this is particularly well made the acting performances are brilliant and um, the direction is good as well brilliant I must say I've not seen either series of it so uh, I've had good things about it mm. yeah really good Cool, cool. Well, I've I've always been going the opposite extreme this week and uh, this week I have watched The Swiss Family Robinson I love that as, as, as often discussed I have a newborn at a certain point, you want to watch a film that's easy going enough in the afternoon, and that I've maybe I've seen it seen it enough times that if I drop out for ten minutes while I I, I deal with her, I can do that. Um, so I've got the entire collection of Disney, um, and I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll dip into that back back archive, and I watched. Um, it's it's great. I mean, those obviously that you don't know it, it's a family, a Swiss family, who are stranded on a um, a, a, a island on the way to New Guinea. And have to make the best of it while fending off predators and pirates and all that kind of thing in the in the th- sort of theme of Robinson Crusoe, uh, which is where it gets the Robinson of the Swiss and Robinson from. Yeah, not much to say beyond it's really fun. It's not you know it's not any of the great shakes in terms of you know anything to talk about, but it is a nice little fun film for the afternoon. A good yarn, as my wife would say. It was one of my favourite books as a child. I really... I don't know whether it would stand up to the test of time, um, but I re- remember really enjoy, enjoying reading it. And it, it's, it's... Well, as, as you said, you used the word yarn there. That's brilliant. Um, it's, it's just... The, the book is well-paced and it's a really interesting adventure novel. And so is the film. The film's great. I agree entirely. Um, also, our recommendations this week were were more positive than normal. Yes, we both we both yeah. liked what we recommended, which is always you know yeah. a good step for yeah. us. Yes. Right, this week 
we continue with the franchise that we started last week, and we talk about the 1986 sequel, Aliens. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the ready line. Are you me? Yeah! Back yeah. me? Yeah! yeah. Aliens is the sequel to Ridley Scott's 1979 film, and it's directed this time by James Cameron. Stars Sigourney Weaver again, but also Paul Reiser, Lance Henriksen, young Bill Paxton. More, this is very much an ensemble piece, whereas the first was much more of a. It, it focused on a, on the cast of seven originally. Um, the film's set on the moon on which the original alien was found, and that turns out to be site of various industrial colonies led by the overseeing organisation of the first film. And in one narrative, Ripley returns from outer space, having spent 57 years there. And in another, the moon colonists encounter the alien vessel, and they come together in the, the main body of the film um, Ripley after being stripped of her credentials um, is reinstated and has to go looking for these missing moon colonists after they've encountered the alien and she goes with a bunch of elite marines and before I turn over to Rob because those who know him will know exactly what we've got to say about this film um, in general terms I would just like to say that we talked before that I may or may not have watched this film and um, I haven't seen this film uh -huh. before and, and it was utterly brilliant I loved it I thought it was it, it, in so many ways a brilliant piece of filmmaking and now we turn over to Rob for the I didn't like it <laughs> no, of course of course I liked it um, yes I think as Sam discussed there, Aliens is many ways a very different film to Alien. Um, the first one is much more of a uh, slasher film, you know, haunted house kind of film. This is much more of a, uh, a militaristic action-adventure film. Um, I think there are some themes that carry through, and obviously the returning character of Ripley and the returning presence of the um, Whelan yutani company. Um, and the company man and the returning themes of of the android coming back and that stuff. So there are there are some certainly links and throwbacks to that first film, but it's a very different film. I I go back and forth myself on which I prefer, whether I like Alien or I prefer Aliens. And I think very often it's down to whichever one I watched a bit more recently. But I do think they're both it, it, they they come in my mind as a package, um, and a bit more on that will come up when we start watching talking about the uh, the third and the fourth films. In the quadrilogy, as it's known, but I think these two kind of come together as as, a, as two parts of a whole. But yeah, I mean, in the review terms, I think it's very good. I think Sigourney Reaver does some interesting things in bringing back Ripley in a different film, and I think that the I suppose the sequel itis of having to do everything bigger and better is kind of subverted here by not doing the same film again, same world, same rules, same sort of franchise, but. You've got you aren't it isn't, it isn't Ripley being hunted through in the middle of deep space, 
it is I mean, it's still being hunted, but it's a very different story. Um, whilst it's having the tropes in the three backs of the first one. So moving beyond just a sort of a simple review of the film, the film already now we're getting into a second film, we can start looking and talking about themes the film throws up and, and films that they're trying to bring through in the franchise. And we touched on this a little bit last week with some discussion around Ripley character, but I think this film, more than the first one, had some interesting things to say around gender. Mm. Um, and predominantly femininity. Femininity? Um, within that, but uh, in this film it's certainly opposed to masculinity. Um, because in the first film, as you say, we've got Ripley's own by herself, you've hit the final girl as it were, as a horror film, and now we're moving into a much more sort of testosterone-driven, gung-ho, militaristic, much more traditionally masculine world. Mm. I think there's some interesting work in the clash between those two, um, and we will dive into spoilers uh, from this point onwards, guys, so uh, to put a warning in there. So, I mean, suppose what my husband would say, what was your reaction, I suppose, to the, the the incursion of much more masculine element in this film, as opposed to the first one? I suppose it's it's interesting, because as, as you said, we kind of touched on this right there at the end last week. Um, we touched on the idea of, of gender and of rape was something that came up right at the end of the podcast last week, and rather than opening a can of worms then I thought I'd leave it till this week um, but it's something that I've had listener feedback in the week saying how dare you not talk about uh, reproduction and the female body and giving birth so it's something I did, did want to talk about a lot more here but it's interesting that you should say that because the it seems to me the way in which Ripley's character is seen changes like you said she goes from the final girl who as I believe I mentioned last week the fact that she's female is kind of incidental she's just someone who survives it's mm. not, not really a terrible female empowerment to hear I mean this film is very much a, a, a film of female empowerment a, a movie in which her success as a woman is paramount. Um, so it's interesting that she changes like that. Um, and it may be, I don't know, perhaps it's related to the greater prominence given to the idea of mothering. So you have her relationship with Newt develops at the film. She's seen much more as, as a human, as a person. And that starts with the discovery of of her daughter's death right at the beginning and it continues through through this relationship with Newt who becomes a surrogate daughter to her. But Ripley is is seen much more as as a person, as an individual than as a cipher as she was in the first film. Yeah, I think that, I think that's I know, you, I know that you had some feedback about reproduction. Um, but I, I would honestly say I'm not sure it actually t- applies too much to the first film, particularly not around of female reproduction, because you've got the male is the host and the reproductive element in the first film. The second one, I grant you, is certainly looking at motherhood and reproduction and that kind of f- traditionally feminine nature that's much more prevalent in the second film. Mm. And I think that you're right. I think that Ripley is, you know, suddenly we've got a daughter, which we've never mentioned in the first film. Um, and she's suddenly been brought more brought more into being a female, a traditional female character with motherhood being part of that, a big part of that. 
and obviously the character of Newt um, comes from there. And I think that there's there's a certain link between this and the, both the phrase Mother Nature that you've got the two in my mind the two sides of of femininity and motherhood and reproduction in her and the alien queen spoiler we see the alien queen in this one mm. um, and that is much more of a bee hive structure relationship in the aliens and xenomorphs than in more traditional uh, human community style things so we've got the Ripley opposed what you'd say in the corners good femininity so you've got the nurturing nature the protecting nature the fighting nature the one who looks after and protects their their cub, as it were. Um, and on the other side, you've got this kind of aggressive, almost viral nature of, of mother nature in xenomorphs, uh, where you've got this the, the, the alien queen who is basically just churning out eggs to just churn out more and more and more the reproductive kind of wave of of the xenomorphs against all their enemies. Um, I think it is notable that this film does... I suppose gender as a whole is an issue in this film. You've got... I mean, there is... It's not overly unusual, but the the, the character of Vasquez, who is one of the machine gunners, um, who is a very feminine character in a very masculine world, but is still quite masculine. She, she is the traditional kind of army chick that you see in a lot of films. She's the... The, the source of the... Do you ever get mistaken for a man quit... Right yes, um, and also you've got the um, character Bishop, who is obviously an android and is both male presenting, but Lance Hendrickson doesn't play him off in any kind of sense of masculinity. There's no in the world of these testosterone-charged Marines, mm. he's very much a a much more calming male influence in a, in a, you know a sacrificing. A dedicated male influence, a male character. That's interesting because when the Marines sit down to dinner, it's very noticeable this overt atmosphere of testosterone fueled masculinity, and you have um, Bishop and the Knight, but then he goes away and he sits down on the table, so he's removing himself from that environment, and you don't see Vasquez at all. So it is solely a male, a, a particular version of the masculine, the male that is seen when they're eating together. And you're right that the bishop takes himself, removes himself from that. There's much more. He's, he's much more very, particularly at the end. He's a caring, nurturing influence. But he he isn't what you would describe as a masculine character. By very nature, being an android, he is androgynous. Hmm. Um, and I think this film is, is, is kind of making, not making some comments, but certainly it's playing with ideas around gender. I mean, to look at the masculinity the film brings in, obviously, overwhelmingly, you've got the the bravado, the gung-ho marines. But in characters like Corporal Hicks, who has some more tender moments with Ripley, mm. certainly. Um, and Burke, the character, the company man, who turns out to be quite destructive and quite conniving. So there is, there is film is is suppose I'll rephrase that. Often on this podcast, we've talked about how films can be lazy in their in their gender stereotyping. They can you know 
rely on easy tropes and not present any kind of depth to gender roles. And this film seems to almost effortlessly give us everything on every side. We have the the, the gung-ho, we have the immaculated, we have the genderless, we have the caring femininity, the destructive femininity. The film is is, is giving us this, this wide breadth of gender roles and then using them to try and say things about the triumph of of love over hate or whatever, however you want to portray the emotions behind that fight, the final battle between Ripley and the alien queen. Hmm. One thing I I did notice is the the way in which there were so many if, if it were a novel you'd call them extra textual, but I'm not sure you would. And it's only references to other not just other films, but there are a couple of references to fairy tales. And this idea of the the queen at the end is something that gets explored in fairy tales, but also when Ripley's discovered right at the beginning of the film, she's discovered beneath glass on her own kind of like Sleeping Beauty. Like that moment in the forest. And then you have you have an, another later on in the film you have reference to Snow White. You have um, references to other space films. You have a kid on a trike with his um, pedaling action on a trike mimics the, the scene in Silent Running right at the beginning. And you have, all the way through this, you have, re- you have a reference to, I mean, I suppose a, a later film like, like The Matrix, and you see how that has built on, on this. So there are all, all these other references, and one of the really interesting things is is to do with the, this focus on um, fairy tales, but also on on other films that are often quite stereotypical in their attitudes to something like gender. And you're right that this takes some stereotypes and then says, "Okay, this is going to be completely different. We're going to take this and and make it different." Do you expand a bit on your you're talking about there about fairy tales? I think there's another, another interesting point beyond the gender. What, what what are you sort of seeing there? In this film, when you've got references to fairy tales, fairy tales are very uh, gender normative, I suppose. They they constructed mm-hmm. from stereotypes of gender. So you have the princess who is being saved, the female figure, and I suppose that's that's subverted in something like Frozen much more recently. And you and your Disney back catalogue will be up on the the recent iterations of this. But I'm thinking. Um, gender in in fairy tales at the time was was on very predictable lines, and yes. something this film does is takes the Sleeping Beauty figure who's discovered in a box, and the next you see of Ripley after that, she is shouting at a room full of predominantly men, and you think this is what Sleeping Beauty should be. She shouldn't be someone who wakes up and and thinks, oh, where am I? And gets put put in, gets taken from a glass box and put in another box, gets put in a pigeonhole. She, she's someone who comes out of the box and says, well, actually, while I was asleep, you've been doing something wrong. And this mm. is what's wrong with this situation. This needs to be fixed. There's a very powerful film, powerful scene right at the beginning. Of, I suppose you, you have the... 
the scene where Ripley finds out about her daughter in between. But there's a very powerful scene of her shouting at the organisation in this this boardroom right at the beginning. So I thought that was interesting from an empowerment point of view, the way this this rewrites sort of stereotypical ideas about about women. I think there's an interesting interesting point about fairy tales in that it's only just occurred to me right now, but the there's a purity to the opposed to the bad guy in this film. You've got the xenomorphs here, and that they are without remorse. They are without grey characters. They are without depth as a as a character. They are, for one better word, a force of nature. So often in these films, we talk about how you know bad guys can seem one dimensional. But I think there's an interesting sort of, maybe not a theory-based thing, but a filmmaking point here, that by casting the bad guy in this film to be, or at least the antagonist in this film, to be this kind of relentless alien creature, rather than, it's not even an alien race, it's a creature, a creature is dealing with. You wouldn't say they were alien people in the way that, I don't know, the Vulcans or the Klingons were from Star Trek. These are creatures. Hmm. That there's there's a purity to that, and I think that there's, I think that it is used in a kind of a, actually a separate way, in that by the nature of making them this kind of prim- primitive primordial antagonist, they stop being the bad guys. They just stop. Then they just they're just a the situation. The bad guys become the company men. Mm. So the character of Burke ultimately is the bad guy here because he's making choices that are bad. The xenomorphs aren't making choices. Even at the end, when the alien queen, who has clearly shows more intelligence, comes after Ripley, it's predominantly because Ripley has killed all her children. Mm. So it, it, there is a there is a kind of a reactive nature to it that separates out antagonist and bad guy into two different things. Yeah, and I'm just thinking now about the Evil Dead. It, that's come to mind because we've done it recently but you have um definite bad guys in the spirits that are summoned and then you think well actually maybe it's not that that's the malevolent influence maybe it's the interference of the teenagers in whatever film you're talking about and you have i suppose like the the environment keeps them there the woods mm. keep them there and it's not the wood being bad, it's just the wood doing what the wood does. And that idea of this alien race not being individuals is really interesting. It's as if they're sort of, they're trees. There's something rhizomatic about, I mean, the, the way the way that this, this force sort of bears down on them. They're not, you, you can't identify them separately. You're right. But if it's looking, I do think we can turn around and put, say, Alien at this point is trying to say some things. You know, I mean, we've been doing this now. This is episode twenty of season two of this podcast, and sometimes we talk about films that we are talking about the representation, but they are actually saying these things in a conscious way. But I feel that Alien is trying to say things. It's having a point of view on nature versus nurture versus corporate life versus freedom there are ideas being sort of presented here mm. and I do think that, 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 that the idea of the separation is, is used and I think you've got to tie it back to the original as well in the original you've got Ash 
the alien who is once the android well, was the android and the company man and we didn't mention this last week but obviously the alien the, the, the alien the spaceship machine is called mother in the first film and that isn't like a clear blinking light about about gender or not is but he but by spreading it out in this one they're starting to play with these ideas so we come into this thinking oh android we don't trust the android because of last time hmm. um whereas this time he proves worthy this time and i think the film is is definitely trying to say stuff around gender yeah and that that character burke is interesting because he is set up at the beginning like he's on ripley's side she is fighting against this room full of men who are not listening to her. And he appears to be on her side. He appears to come to her and give her another chance. And it's only quite a way on the film that you find out that he's got his own his own intentions. And he mm-hmm. is, as you said, the, the primary bad guy in this film. So it's, it's interesting that as, as well as our memories of of last time we think android equals bad you've also got within this film this man who is presented as a good good guy suddenly turns bad I only think her something i want there was there was something i wanted to want to ask you before we finish um the recon missions where you have the marines going inside the alien ship or going inside the complex and they're viewed from outside by Burke and Gordon and Ripley. Was there something different in the way they were filmed? Um, I would honestly imagine at this point, and I, I can't speak definitively, I would imagine they were probably filmed that you've got mounted cameras mm. and they're probably early digital video cameras. So at this point, you're probably still shooting on film for most of it. We tend to be using video for TV work. Right. So I would imagine for that kind of immediacy, that they wanted from terms of like the helmet cameras and that kind of thing, you'd have shot on video and so it would look different. But I must say, I, without going back actually looking at the scene in more depth, I can't go, that's what happened. So Sam? Yes? So, some recommendations following week two of the Alien quadrilogy. Right. Um, well, going back to this idea of Sam Rob recommend films they think are a bit meh, um, I have two more modern films that try and do what Aliens does and don't quite get it right. So they're, okay. they're modernisations of these concepts. And the first one, actually, I, I did I did really... I, I liked it more than Rob did, I know. Um, but it does some interesting things about time travel that Aliens appears to cover in more emotional depth with that scene right at the beginning with Ripley and his daughter and it's the film Interstellar. Oh great, <laughs> Yeah. Okay, um, and, and the second one is um it's much more clean, which is a strange thing to say about the film about the chaos of a group of Marines on a foreign planet, but it, it is. It's it's more. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's it's a. It's more modern looking. It's more clean, and that's not really a good thing. And it's the film Starship Troopers, which is another film that I have uh, fond memories of because Rob and I saw it together in the late '90s. But I am not sure it would be great now. 
So those are films that build on aliens, but not necessarily in the best of ways. Okay, well, oddly enough, Starship Troopers was one of my recommendations because I think that I think Starship Troopers does a lot of what Alien is trying to do with a lot more satire around militarization of our communities and a lot more satire about the industrial military complex in Starship Troopers as opposed to Alien. But that was one of my recommendations. So, going having now lost that one because Sam took it, I'm going to recommend one thematic one and one. Uh, one actor. So the thematic one, I'm going to recommend the 1987 film Robocop. So the original Robocop is about a, a cop who was killed and come back as a robot. It does some of the same work about masculinity and what it means to be a man and the idea of the military versus nature um, and can you program people, all that kind of thing and the idea of like, the balance between a created humanistic military organisation and pure nature between those two things. And I think it's is another one of the films that's often decried as a bit of an eighties action film, but there is some there are some depth to the satire and some of the thoughts trying to say about the militarization of, of, of our culture. My act recommendation, I'm actually gonna take uh Michael I would say Behind but Bane probably, um, who is Hicks in Aliens. And he starred in a 2000 film called Cherry Falls, starring Brittany Murphy. Um, I just like this film, and it doesn't get a lot of love, so I'm giving it some love. Essentially, it is a traditional slasher film in which kids are being offed um, around town. But opposed to the usual trope of if you have sex, you're likely to die, it seems that this film, in the, in this killer, is offing virgins. So you have a sort of takedown of that old trope you have the play of sexual politics in which suddenly all the children and other kids are rushing to lose their virginities um, and aggressive domineering female sexuality um, as a survival mechanism as opposed to being a weakness as it's in a lot of other horror films um, so it, it doesn't get a lot of love um, because often forgotten but it is a very interesting one in, in the horror genre that's Cherry Falls, year 2000. Great. So next week, guys, we are back. We are picking up the third in the uh, in the trilogy, Aliens 3. What, Alien 3? Alien 3. Um, and we'll have some interesting things to say about that, I'm sure. Uh, I, I admire your confidence. I didn't say good. I said interesting. I said oh, right, interesting. okay. Right, yes. Um, please do... If you enjoy what we're talking about, then do give us a, a review on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. That, that sort of thing really helps our visibility. Um, and in the meantime, do come and get in touch with either of us on Twitter. We're both on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. I'm on Twitter as Rob Kaiju. And I'm Life underscore Academic. And we will see you back here next week for some more Alien Action. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.